Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community of everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at www.utahwomensgivingcircle.com. And Utah State University Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information available at cwg.usu.edu. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Utah Valley University professor Susan Madsen has been focusing for several years now on helping more women graduate from college and helping more girls and women in Utah become leaders in their organizations and communities. She's the founder and director of Utah Women and Leadership Project at UVU. Today on the program, as a part of our UPR original series, Utah Women 2020, we're going to be talking with Dr. Madsen and Robin Scribner, research fellow with Utah Women and Leadership Project. We'll uh, discuss the project's latest research brief titled Strategies That Male Allies Use to Advance Women in the Workplace, especially timely in the Me Too climate, in which some men are nervous working with women. We'll also be talking about women in higher education, poverty and homelessness among Utah women, entrepreneurship and women-owned businesses, and many other topics. Uh, Dr. Madsen is the Oren R. Woodbury Professor of Leadership and Ethics at the Woodbury uh, School of Business at Utah Valley University and, as I mentioned, founding director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Welcome to the program. Great to be here. And uh, Robin Scribner is research fellow with Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah Valley uh, University. Most recently, she's uh, been the team lead for the Utah Women's Stats Research Snapshot Series, where she co-authored uh, 12 snapshots and various topics of interest surrounding Utah women, including poverty, labor force participation, domestic violence, unpaid uh, care work, and the gender gap. Uh, Robin Scribner, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Dr. Madsen, um, I think we've been aware of your work for uh, for quite a while now. Great to have you on the program here. Um, uh, I'd like to start with uh, how this came about with you. Where did you develop this intense interest? I guess you could, almost, you could call it a passion, uh, uh, helping yeah. Utah women and girls uh, advance. It is, and I've been doing it for about 10 years. Uh, I started in about 2009, and I actually started it, well, even years before that, I have written books and done global and national research on women and leadership um, and how women developed throughout their lives into leadership. And in about 2009, the Commissioner of Higher Education for the state of Utah contacted me. I knew him well. He's been a mentor. He contacted me and said, you care about girls and women. Uh, we are below the national average on women graduating from college. And do you think you can do some research? On that, and so that's really what drew me in. I was commissioned by the the uh, commissioner, like I said, of higher education, Utah system of higher education, to really look at what was going on in terms of the education component in Utah. And that year, we did well for a few years. We did extensive research around the state, really understanding both qualitative and quantitative, really getting to the the root root uh, causes and perspectives of people on why they weren't going to college, why they were dropping out of college and just not finishing. And that really started started the role. Um, and then in 2013, I started the Utah Women in Leadership Project, and we started doing research on that as well. So we do both education and leadership, and really our mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. By the way, uh, I can't resist um, referencing this. I was reading um, that you were at one time a middle school teacher. 
I was years ago when I was, I think I was about 24, 25. And actually, I loved it. I stopped when I started having children. I, I, I have four children. They're all out of the house now. But, you know, I loved it. I really appreciated it. I taught speech, public speech, speaking and drama uh, or public speaking and debate and ended up directing plays and teaching drama as well, even though I didn't have that degree. <laughs> uh, I, I, I explored a career in uh, secondary education for a little bit. I did a practicum at a middle school, and I can, I can, I can say the first few days were pretty terrifying for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, that's good that you explored it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Robin Scriven, I'd like to get a little of your background as well. How did you get into this uh, field of research? Well, this is an area that's always been a passion for me as well, although I didn't even realize it. When I looked back um, over my career and the things I studied as an undergraduate, all my papers are about women's advancement and women's position in society and things like that. So this is something that's always been a great interest of mine. But about five years ago, after taking a long break from working and being home with raising children for many years, I started becoming interested in women who are looking to return to the workforce. And so as I was doing my research... I found Dr. Madsen, and I loved her work. And so when I saw that she had a need for a researcher, I just jumped on that opportunity. And it was supposed to be a short-term project, and I'm here three years later. It's been an amazing opportunity to learn so much about the state of women in Utah, where some of our challenges are, what so many of our amazing opportunities are, and to really work hard and make sure that we're helping women and girls in all different aspects of their lives. It's a great opportunity. Dr. Metzen, I'd like to jump in with uh, higher education. You, that, that's kind of where you started here. Um, and, and the impetus I, I, I hear you saying was that uh, uh, women were graduating at uh, lower rates from higher education. Is, is that still the case? Actually, it is when you compare women to the nation. So we, we did initial re- reports about eight, nine years ago, and then just this past year we did an update. And now when you compare men and women in the state of Utah, we're about the same. So we've made some progress in the last year, uh, you know, decade specifically. And by the way, years ago, throughout most of the state time in the state of Utah, women have been when you compare Utah women to, to national women, we've actually been more educated. But that really changed about 20, 25 years ago. And so now, even though we're about equal in terms of men and women getting bachelor's degrees, we're still significantly lower in women getting graduate degrees. But when you compare women at bachelor's degrees here in Utah and compare those to the nation, we're significantly significantly below. And that's because across the nation, there's lots more women graduating at bachelor degree levels than men, which which is not great. I mean, it's great to have women go, but we still need lots of men graduating from college, too. Mm-hmm. Why the differential, do you think? Why, why Utah is still lagging uh, in, in the bachelor's degrees uh, compared to the nation? Well, we have explored many types of findings that could take hours and hours. Robin, First time she heard me present, I, it was about two hours of, of data on this, but we explored influences, perspectives, cultural kinds of things. Um, of course, work and family, or not work and family, well, work and family kinds of things, but school and family were issues as well. A couple real quick interesting things is we found there was really a perspective in the state of Utah that women were supposed to go to college 
but not necessarily graduate from college. So some would go a semester or two and say, I, I hit my goal. I went to college. I'm not supposed to really graduate. So that was interesting to pick up. Also, I found in numerous studies that many girls and women in Utah really don't what I call see a life of integration. They, they don't see and. They see either or. And so when they get married or have that first baby, they're like, okay, now I'm done with college. I can just do this full time. Instead of really that and, I can have a baby and I can still finish college and graduate from college. So many, many um, results. So those are a couple of the real interesting ones that we found. Robin Scribner, what what your view on this? So what the research is that is telling you um, wh- why the uh, differential in Utah statistics versus the nation? Oh, that's a great question. I think all the stuff that um, Susan just mentioned is so important. But a couple other factors is I think so many uh, girls, especially in the state of Utah, they've been uh, taught how important it is for them to look forward to motherhood, which it is. It's fantastic, and it's hugely important. But at the same time, I think a lot of girls don't recognize that the purpose and value of a higher education goes so far beyond uh, economic prospects and job prospects, which is what so many people think is incompatible with motherhood. And so they say, well, I don't need a higher education. I don't need to worry about what I'm going to major in in college because I want to be a mother, and that wants, that's going to be my primary focus. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in our presentations that we give uh, is that there are so many benefits of a higher education. Economic and financial is one of those benefits and a very important one. But there's a wide range of factors where uh, higher education benefits a woman's life and a man's life across the spectrum in so many different areas. And so I think that's one of the things that we can do as we're talking to our young people today is emphasize the broad range of value and benefits that come from higher ed- education, aside from the very important one of getting better, higher-paying jobs. Dr. Madsen, I want to follow up just briefly on on this idea of integration, uh, the or versus and. Um, is Are those perceptions changing, especially among young women in Utah, and and... And how do those things uh, change? I do think there's some change, but I'm always surprised when, and still, even a couple of weeks ago, I had someone tell me this, that uh, their daughters in church settings were told that that they weren't supposed to do a whole bunch of different things. They were just supposed to, you know, be a mom when they had a kid, and so that it, it wasn't um, necessary for them to graduate from college. I hear that less and less now. But, so I do think things are changing, and I'm on the board of Envision Utah, and one of the, a couple years ago, in, in one of their data collection um, activities, they actually asked the question, should women be going to college and graduating? And about 75% of people that responded said yes, and I think that's an increase. So I think, I think there's some good trends moving forward. I think more and more there's a lot of people talking about this issue, and more and more we we you know see more women coming back to college. But on the other hand, I still think there are those perceptions. I think Robin would agree with me. We we did some rural events, Robin and I, um, in the past year, and particularly at one of the sites. I don't know if I should say where it was. We man, did we hear some of those perspectives of 
of women don't really need to go to college, and, and it won't help them. But as Robin said, there's so many. I think what we found in that research really was so interesting, that women didn't see actually connections between many other benefits. For instance, parenting. The research says that you do so many more things as parents in terms of you read to your children more, you help them with math when you have degrees. And even in society, more people that have, the people that have more education actually donate more blood. They're more engaged in society. You know, they 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 lead in society. There's so many other things. Even if you don't work for money, you, you as a mom, you always work for un, unpaid. <laughs> mm. But if there's so many benefits uh, that relate, even if you're not working for pay. Robin Scribner, I want to follow up on the rural urban divide. Is there such a divide in, in attitudes? I, I think there certainly is in a lot of circumstances, a lot of circumstances, and it's certainly going to vary according to individual um, situations. But that's one of the things that we found. That was one of the reasons why we wanted to do these rural events because we have these wonderful events here in Utah County along the Wasatch Front, and we had so many women and girls coming and hearing inspirational speakers, learning you know deep skills and important principles about how they should be educated and look forward to leading, and we felt like. There weren't as many opportunities in some of our more remote rural areas within the state. And so um, that's why we took kind of our show on the road and went to talk to people. And we did find um, there were a lot of great women leaders in these communities, and they were sharing their perspectives. But when women and girls came up and spoke to us at the end of the event, they were so grateful. They said, thank you so much. This is such an important message. We don't hear this message enough. And so I do think that there are just because of there's a lack of opportunity and maybe it's harder to see some of the, the possibilities that are available to you in a more remote area where there aren't as many uh, educational institutions, there aren't as many civic opportunities and things like that. So I think there are fantastic women leaders and fantastic girls in all areas of the state, but I think the opportunity to see the possibilities ahead of them might be more limited in some of these rural areas. Uh, we'll take a break soon, and we we'll want to move on to some other subjects. But finally, on education, Dr. Madsen, uh, um, where does Utah fit in terms of what uh, women are studying, what they're choosing to study, their majors, and what careers they're wanting to go into uh, versus, say, that's the a, nation? This, yeah, that's a great question. We actually follow the national trends in terms of women, uh, their majors and the choices they make. But we have exaggerated numbers. So in terms of, like, STEM areas, science, technology, engineering, and math, across the nation, you know, there's lower numbers of women than men in those areas. In Utah, we are significantly. So we take that and we go to the extreme. So we definitely have less women in non-traditional areas, like the STEM areas, like business. Across the nation, the number of women in, or the percentages of women in, in business degrees and MBA programs and so forth is, is approaching, if not at some institutions, more than 50% of the students. And in Utah, we're about, it matters the institution, but the highest are like 30% around there. And at, at UVU, we're, we're even lower than that. We're, uh, you know, in the 20s someplace. Um, so engineering, you know, uh, many of just those non-traditional areas we don't uh, see as many women in. We have at Utah Valley University a huge technology computing 
area that that at least a few years ago I was told only had 5% women in those areas. So we have a lot of work to do on those. And as you mentioned in your question, when you move those, I mean, really, if you're not majoring in those areas, it's hard to get women to be employed in those areas, right? And so uh, we do see a struggle with technology companies, um, engineering firms, uh, bis- uh, different business kinds of uh, businesses in the state of Utah. We, we hear from the, the leaders and the HR folks that they're struggling uh, finding women who have those degrees and are qualified. Um, so we do struggle with those math, you know, all those areas where we're significantly low. Just, um, I, I guess, uh, commonsensically, I don't know that the uh, statistics or the research backs this up, but I would imagine this starts early, doesn't it, how we talk to girls about what careers they may want to consider? Absolutely. And there's some great, I mean, we, in our my research about 10 years ago, we really looked at this and, and saw that some of these messages were definitely coming from parents, but also sometimes from teachers and and um, counselors and so forth. And on the flip side, some real positive encouragement would come from those folks as well. So, yes, it starts early. Fortunately, you know, more and more people are aware of that, and there really are some, some good programs. Um, Expand Your Horizon, SheTax, um, some different programs for young women. Some of them are like sixth grade to eighth grade. Some of them are more high school that you can send your daughters to and so forth to really have them kind of see the possibilities. I always say that women, if you if you really think all your choices are nursing, elementary school teaching, and by the way, those are super important, um, social work and those kinds of traditional areas, then I argue that that young women really don't have true choice. When they know that they could choose technology or you know, these other things, that might be where their their sweet spot is. Um, but we still need lots of teachers. There's a teacher shortage, so I would encourage people to look at that. But explore your passions and how your mind works, and we really need to help young women explore all the, the choices that they have for college majors and careers. Robin Scripter, before we go to break, I understand uh, one of your uh, research areas Um includes women and careers and the creation of alternative pathways for women to create uh, successful careers, even while prioritizing other areas of their lives. I guess they're talking about that balance we were talking about earlier in the program. I wonder if you'd uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Yes, that is absolutely one of my uh, highest areas of interest. Just as a woman myself who had a number of children and took a break from my career I found that uh, as I'm talking to other women in my similar circumstances, it is so difficult for women who've taken a break and are working to come back, especially in more professional, higher-level careers. And so one of the things that I'm hoping we can continue this conversation around and get more employers on board with is understanding how valuable it is to explore part-time options with women, to explore uh, kind of less shoot-for-the-stars trajectories at certain stages of their careers where women can kind of just stay moving ahead forward in a more kind of gentle slope. And then when they've got a little more time as their kids get older to move back into more aggressive pursuits in their careers. I know we we have a small business, my husband and I as well, 
And one of the things we struggle with is finding enough women to be working in different areas. And so one of the things we're trying to do is make sure that when we see these talented women, smart, ambitious, ambitious, highly skilled women, that we find ways to keep them working, even through the years where they can't make their career their very top priority, and then know that in the long run they're going to add tremendous value. Well, even in the immediate term, they're adding great value. But to know that they can be adding so much value to the company over the long run. So I think so many employers, especially as more and more women are entering the workforce, they're not quite sure how to um, incorporate and re-welcome a woman back into the workforce after she's taken a break. So I think there's a lot of room for employers to understand that women, while they've been away from work, it's not like they've been sitting around doing nothing. They've been learning. They've been growing. They've been developing skills and competencies that could add so much to any company. And so I hope that uh, women are getting this message and looking for ways to stay engaged in their careers, even while they're taking, you know, ramping down a little bit. And I think uh, there's a great opportunity for employers. And we have such a tight labor market in the state of Utah. Women who've been uh, out of the workforce are a huge untapped resource there that could really strengthen and continue to grow our economy here in the state. Well, let's take a break. We're talking with uh, Susan Madsen, who is uh, founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah Valley University, and with uh, Robin Scribner, who's a research fellow at that uh, project at UVU. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about this uh, some uh, several very interesting research papers. You can find these at Utah Women and Leadership Project uh, website. Uh, the latest is strategies that male allies use to advance women in the workplace, especially timely research in our Me Too climate in which some men are nervous working along with uh, women. We'll talk about, we've been talking about higher education, women in higher education, talk about women in business, women in leadership. I want to talk about the election. This is, uh, and um, uh, record numbers of women running for office. And uh, it's it's a very interesting moment. Uh, we'll have uh, Dr. Madsen comment on the numbers of women university presidents in uh, in Utah. We had a, a specific program on this a while back, where I interviewed uh, several of these uh, leaders. Uh, more following this break. I'm Fred Child, and I love the classical tradition, being true to the notes written down by the composer. But you know what? I also adore it when classical musicians can improvise. Coming up, Gabriela Montero improvising an encore in concert in Houston on the next Performance Today from APM. Tonight at 9 o'clock here on Utah Public Radio. What is the statistical likelihood that I have been a guinea pig in one of your experiments? 100%. On the next Radio Lab. Why does the world exist? The cosmos is ultimately a concept. Mathematical quantities through space. A fraction time, of a time, second time, of time, the distance time. traveled by light in a vacuum. And then you've got atoms. You can split an atom. Oh my god. Yeah, and it has pretty interesting consequences. That's in the next Radio Lab. Tomorrow morning at 10 on UPR. Thanks for listening to Access Utime. Tom Williams, and uh, today's program is part of our original series, Utah Women 2020. We're talking with Dr. Susan Madsen, who is the founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. That's at Utah Valley University. And Robin Scribner, research uh, fellow with the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Uh, Dr. Madsen, for several years now, has been uh, uh, conducting research into uh, how we get more girls and women into leadership, also uh, women in higher education. 
so I want to uh, to jump in with uh, some of the uh, research projects, the latest research. This one really caught my eye. Uh, strategies that male allies use to advance women in the workplace. Um, so, Dr. Madsen, do you want to tackle this first? Yeah, it's we were really excited to do this. This is primary research, so and it was mostly qualitative, even though we had some quantitative. Um, so it was extensive in terms of the time commitment. Qualitative research is great, but we had a good sample. We had about 80 men who responded in depth to the questions we asked and about 170, I believe, women. And we really, what we wanted to do a lot of times with the project, um, and I do this purposely, we compare Utah to the nation and with most things works quite below the the nation in terms of women and leadership and different kinds of things. But we really wanted to flip it and look at the positive. I mean, what works? Because there are many, many good men who get it that are helping move women along and helping them, you know, being sponsors and mentors and those things. So we really wanted to to look from the perspective of men and from the perspective of women what works. And so that's what we did, and we actually have sections on the men's perceptions and the women's perceptions, um, and and many of those were the same, but we can talk about some of the things that were different. The one thing I wanted to mention first, though, is kind of at the end of our brief, we had some qualitative or some quantitative questions that really, and then we statistically compared our men and women thinking the same on things. So, like, men in Utah are supportive of women in the workplace setting. Um, men in my organization are engaged in efforts to advance women. We had 10 of these questions, and it was fascinating because um, e- even questions about, you know, that there's more work to be done. Well, in every case, and this is nationally as well, but we saw it in Utah, women, you know, their responses are a good uh, point above men in terms of everything. So men in Utah are more supportive of women. Men say, yeah. You know, a little bit more than women, and women say not so much. <laughs> and and actually, both of them are about neutral on that one. Hmm. So no one said men are, like, great. Uh, but there's more work to be done. Women are significantly higher, their perspectives, than men. More public policy needs to happen on these issues. Of course, women have more. So there's a real significant difference between just the perspe- perceptions of the, you know, of support and efforts. So that was interesting, and again, you kind of see those trends across the nation. So I wanted to, um, you know, just point that out. And and by the way, you might find this interesting. People who were married in our study tend to think things are better uh, for women in the state of Utah. Isn't that kind of interesting? That's interesting. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe Robin would have a comment on that. Why do you think that might be the case, Robin? Well, I think sometimes uh, when you're in the workplace and you're looking at that, how things are going, if your own relationship is going pretty well, I think That's you've true. got a tendency to think, oh, yeah, these relationships, I'm help, you know, I help my wife at home, I help my colleagues at work, you know, things like that. So that could have something to do with it, just a general better uh, feeling about relationships between men and women. Hopefully, are happening between our married couples. We hope they're feeling pretty good about the way things are going. <laughs> and 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 a couple of other things that were interesting is the more education our participants had, 
and the higher level for both of them, the higher level they are in an organization. So people with more education felt there was really more work to be done. Um, they really felt that stronger. And people who are in higher leadership positions also really more significantly uh, responded that there's more work to be done and, and we need to do more. So some of those were interesting results. Um, in terms of the qualitative, actually, Robin did a lot of work with the women's perspectives. Robin, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I'd be interested yeah. what the what the factors were there, and any complaints or I imagine there were. Oh yeah, <laughs> I imagine there were complaints. <laughs> oh, yeah, there were tons of complaints. But we, but again, we want to focus on the positive a little bit at first, and then we can talk about some of the additional challenges. Okay. So both men and women mentioned um, some really similar factors about what they felt worked well for men to use to um, advance women in the workplace. So both men and women mentioned by far the most beneficial thing was just developmental relationships, so mentoring, sponsorship, um, being a peer coach, different ways that men were having relationships with women. And this is a, a very important in terms of what you were mentioning earlier in the Me Too era how does this work? And a lot of women did mention, don't be scared to have lunch with me. You know, don't be scared to be alone with me and talk to me and mentor me in the way that I need it because this is important. And so both men and women mentioned that these types of relationships are really important and super valuable for women's advancement. Go ahead. I want to jump in real quick because because those, those were really striking. But the thing that was striking to me is, is a little bit of a difference there. Because we talk about mentoring and then also talk about sponsorship. Men in their responses talked more about mentoring, and women really highlighted sponsorship more than mentoring. And the research supports that women sponsorship is actually more important. And what sponsorship is really more than mentorship is when men really try and lift women. I mean, they introduce them to the top leaders in the organization. They find resources for them. They really helped them step up to a higher level, not just, you know, give them one-on-one kind of mentoring. So that was a little bit of a difference. Hmm. Our, uh, let me interject. Uh, just uh, I just wanted to follow up on this, uh, the, the, the Me Too climate. Um, are men expressing that they're nervous being with women alone or, I guess, fear of uh, accusations? Yes, we are hearing that, and, and there have been national reports that are coming out recently. And so that's one of the things that the women were talking about, saying, don't be nervous. Be a, be a good person. Be an awesome person. Don't be a jerk. And then don't be afraid to have lunch with me. So, so they're telling men, you don't need to be afraid unless you're a jerk, right? So if you're going to go ahead and be professional, there are lots of ways that we can work closely and that you can really support and help me in my career. It, just the things that Susan was talking about, that sponsorship is so critical. So, yes, men are feeling nervous, and women are saying, don't feel nervous, just be professional. I want to uh, also, I don't know if you uh, explored this uh, at all, or maybe the women you talk to in general. Um, you know, the impetus for me, too, is, as I talk to women, is, um, hey, I'm tired of encountering you know, jerks in the workplace. Tired of putting up with some of this stuff, right? Yes, absolutely. And and that goes into uh, one of the briefs, well, a few of the, the briefs or snapshots that we've had, but we did a specific snapshot a while back on sexual harassment. And, um, and you know, 
we on the snapshots we just look at kind of the numbers around we we look at secondary data not original data on those um and so it's it's just really surprising to look at at the number of women nationally in those national reports that really have struggled with different kinds of sexual harassment. I don't remember all the numbers. Robin, do you remember the specific numbers right now? How many women really say that they, they, um, especially when they understand what the definition of sexual harassment is, say that they've experienced that? Well, across the board, and, and sexual harassment is very hard to quantify because most women... 85 to 95% of women who experience sexual harassment at work never file a formal legal complaint, and even up to about 70% of women never even go talk to their own HR departments about it. And so it's very difficult to look within Utah and nationally to say, oh, yes, we know how many women are experiencing workplace sexual harassment. But studies and surveys recently in the in the Me Too era have shown that at least 50% of women uh, express that they have experienced sexual harassment, whether it's more relatively minor or more serious. So, so this is really widespread, and that's why that's why it gets a little tricky here. When I was saying, you know, women tell men, "Don't worry about it; just don't be a jerk." Lots of guys are still jerks. This is still going on in a lot of, you know, it's pretty widespread. And so, another thing that w- that is important to mention about our brief on the male allies is that the men d- that did reply were interested enough in supporting women at work to fill out a survey about it and to have it shared with them by somebody else to say, hey, you should take a look at this. And so we understand that we're not talking about all men in the state of Utah are doing great things for women. Uh, so from our study, we're looking at the men who are already interested in this. And we need to educate more men and women within the state on how important it is to have women working and succeeding professionally so more and more men will recognize this is something I need to pay attention to and work on. I was just thinking, you brought up education, um, and, you know, we're talking about talking how we talk to uh, girls. Um, we got to think about how we talk to boys about these things, too, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. that's a critical thing. Everything really starts when they're young. And so j- just even back to the education, the way, the way that uh, girls choose their degrees are by what they see, how they see people. If they don't see anybody in the STEM areas. They don't do that. They, they, um, they don't even think about going in. And even small things like, and this is taking you to, to another snapshot, we have cosmetic surgery and body image. Uh, some of the research talks about just even mothers uh, that, that constantly say in front of their daughters and sons, both, you know, I need to lose five or ten pounds, that constant thing. It's amazing how small things that we do and say about education, about body image, about poverty really impact uh, children. Um, and one of our research uh, years ago when we were collecting the data on, on the influences of a daughter's uh, college decisions, we were surprised that the, it's the younger, it's even in kindergarten or preschool and first and second grade that those messages about women going to college really start mattering. It's, it's not just when they're in high school. So on all these issues, the influence of parents, influence of, of church leaders, influence of neighbors and, and teachers are just critical on so many of the issues, but particularly the education is what we looked at. Uh, so, Dr. Matson, I want Hi. to... Uh, yes, go ahead. 
I was just I just wanted to add another note when you were talking about how important it is to educate our boys. That's what that's another thing that's shown up in the research so much. We've researched sexual assault within the state of Utah, domestic violence within the state of Utah, and also sexual harassment. And one thing that is very clear is having these conversations with boys and girls at young ages about how to develop appropriate relationships, about developing boundaries, about respect and consent and all those different issues. I know with in my own life I've got three boys, and in the past couple of years in this Me Too climate, the conversations about political leaders and um, entertainers and things like that, it's given me so many opportunities to talk to my own sons and say, Remember, this is an example of what you don't do. Just be sure that you're respecting and understanding the uh, the wishes and uh, you know needs of the girls in your own life. And so, this is a great opportunity for all parents and educators to be teaching boys and girls from very young ages about how to develop appropriate relationships. Mm. And uh, Tom, yes, Tom, I wanted to mention because I, I know the time is moving along that that we have all of these uh, recent snapshots on our website, which is utwomen.org, but you may not realize and others may not realize that in terms of sexual assault and domestic violence, we are significantly higher than the national average. So it's, it's, these are issues that sometimes people say, well, we don't, things like that don't happen in Utah, but we have been in sexual assault for about 20, 25 years above the nation, national average quite high in terms of that. In terms of all other, you know, violent crimes, we're very low. But sexual assault in the state of Utah, which, and, and domestic violence as, as well, we're, we're significantly high. So just wanted to make sure people know that. And if they want the details, they can go to those snapshots and briefs. Um, give the website again, where people can go. utwomen.org. Okay, utwomen.org. We'll get you there. Yeah. Yes. I just want to, before we go to another break, Dr. Madison, I want to uh, follow up with, um, you know, kind of finalizing this part of the discussion. Uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment, Me Too, uh, all the way to, you know, leadership and uh, women in higher education and women in uh, careers. I think what we're really talking about is affecting a culture change, isn't it? And that's that's pretty difficult to to, to bring about. What uh, how, do, how do we do that? How do we change the culture? That is. It is the change of culture. And actually, that's part of my doctoral work. So I look at social change and organization development and change. So I really love the topic, and that's why I'm not shy to lead these efforts. And so when you do that, it's, it, it is a big change in terms of perspectives, in terms of uh, perceptions. And to me... How, the the most foundational level, and this is what we really work at doing, this is the foundational level, and that is helping people, helping raise the awareness and education. So helping people first understand that there's a problem. And if you don't understand there's a problem, if you don't see a gap, you're not going to change. I mean, even in yourself. I mean, if you don't think you're overweight, you're not going to lose weight, right? Um, so you have to see that there's, a gap, and that's what we really specialize in terms of our work and our research is helping people see here's where Utah is, here's where the nation, here's the gap, and create that urgency, and then put those briefs and snapshots, and we also do events. For instance, in a couple of weeks, we have Jane Clayson Johnson 
who's going to speak at UVU, and, and that's live-streamed as well on depression and and, depre- and how to emerge, you know, from depression with hope. Um, and that's a big issue in the state of Utah. We have another snapshot on mental health. So, again, there's many steps in cultural change, but for us, we really hit that awareness and education and helping people actually see what's happening and learn more about what they can do to help and change and in society, but also in their own homes. Let's take another break. We're talking with Dr. Susan Madsen, who's founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at UVU, and with Robin Scribner, research fellow at the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Uh, I want to, before we go to break, just get a couple of events uh, UPR is uh, involved in out there. You'll be hearing a lot about this uh, uh, coming up to the event. January 25th, just a couple of weeks away, 6 p.m. on the USU campus, we will be hosting a town hall panel discussion. That's a free event on the USU campus. Uh, the title is Me Too Continues, Where Are We Post-Kavanaugh and Post-Election? A continuing discussion uh, from the teach-in that happened at USU on sexual violence uh, a little while ago. Uh, that's coming up on January 25th, 6 p.m., Lundstrom Student Center on the campus. That's free and open to the public. Uh, coming up on Thursday on this program, we'll be uh, talking to several women who will be participating in Logan in the third annual Women's March. Uh, they're calling this uh, nationwide the Women's Wave, and we'll be talking about uh, issues related to that. That's happening on Saturday. We'll have the program on Thursday. More of this program following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members, and Cash Arts presents the national tour of Rodgers and Hammerstein's The King and I, based on the Lincoln Center Theater production and featuring classic songs like Shall We Dance and Getting to Know You, January 22nd and 23rd at 7.30 p.m. Ticket information at cashearts.org. Federal workers and contractors who haven't gotten paid are cutting back where they can on family expenses. Some are trying to explain that to their kids. Mommy doesn't have money right now. I, you know, I can't get that right now. I'm not getting a paycheck. And he's like, but you go to work, Mom. I'm Ari Shapiro. The financial lives of furloughed workers, Monday afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon from 3 to 6.30 on Utah Public Radio with host Shalane Smith-Needham. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We reached our last segment with uh, Dr. Susan Madsen, who is founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at uh, UVU. And we're talking with Robin Scribner, research fellow with that uh, project. A lot of issues to talk about. The hour is running out. And uh, starting with Dr. Madsen, uh, I just wanted to... uh, to, to give you and and then Robin Scribner a chance to uh, to talk about uh, maybe some research that is little known that you, that you'd like to to talk maybe we would find this surprising maybe we haven't talked about in this hour yeah sure I'll I'll actually I'm I'm taking a look at our list of snapshots and maybe we can go through that quickly and if we have have a little bit of time I can tell you where we're at in terms of women and leadership. Um, Substance use disorders is our, our latest um, brief uh, or snapshot, and we found some very interesting uh, results. Actually, Robin, do you want to talk about this since you really took the lead on that one? Yes, absolutely. One of the reasons why we decided to study this is because we came across a study that showed that um, Utah had the highest rate in the nation for pregnant women receiving opioid prescriptions from their doctors. 
and we were more than twice the national average in that number. And we took a look, closer look and saw that the majority of maternal pregnancy-related deaths are also related to substance use disorders. And so we looked uh, deeply and that and found that, you know, substance use during pregnancy can be very damaging both to the mother and to the and to the baby. Uh, but we also found a lot of other interesting things about substance use disorders, specifically in the state of Utah. Most importantly, that we are one of the highest in the nation, probably number eight in the nation, for the misuse of prescription drugs, even though we are third or fourth lowest, third or fourth best in the nation for, for using street drugs. And so we have kind of a fundamental mindset here that, you know, we want to stay away from those dangerous street drugs but many women and men within the state of Utah are falling prey to uh, the misuse of prescription drugs, which can be equally deadly, of course. Mm. And one of the other uh, briefs that I'm, I'm, I won't go through all the snapshots, but another one that we found interesting is the one on Utah women in mental health. And, and we do have, you probably heard, uh, Tom, but that we do have high levels of uh, prescriptions of the antidepressants. And so we talk about that. We have a lot of depression in the state of Utah, um, some clinical, uh, much uh, according to some of the therapists that I've talked to is situational and motivational. And so that one uh, we need to, you know, continue to do work on. The You've all will just whiz past the wage gap, gender wage gap, because we know Utah is one of the worst states that have the broadest wage gap. Um and then unpaid care work is one that I don't think we've talked about, uh, that women, of course, do, do more than uh, men and, and significantly more in the state of Utah. I'll do one more, and then, Robin, you can hop on and, and talk on talk about a few more. But cosmetic surgery is the other one I mentioned before, and we do we – this one was hard to pull data together, but from past research and different things that we've looked at, we do have uh, – we do believe that we are above the nation in terms of women – um, getting cosmetic surgery, um, partic- particularly breast augmentations, and there's some disturbing data in our um, that in our report that we look at. But uh, we have other things, uh, mammography. Robin, do you want to hop on and talk about a couple others? You bet. When it comes to mammography, we are one of the lowest. We're the fifth lowest state in the nation for women getting their mammograms. And uh, when we talk to doctors about this, they're they're really concerned about it, and they're finding that women, especially women with several children, busy lives, all these things going on, they just aren't prioritizing their own physical health, and that's something that can be deadly. And so we are, again, trying to educate, trying to shift the culture and make sure people understand how important it is for women to prioritize themselves and their own health so that they can have a strong impact within the state. One more thing that I'd want to mention quickly is just our labor force participation. We've talked about this just a little bit, but we still have a perception here in the state of Utah that Utah women don't work outside the home for pay as much as women do nationally. But those numbers just don't hold up. We really do. Utah women jump out of the workforce more during the heavy childbearing and raising years, but earlier in their careers and then later in their lives, we're working at rates just as high as women in the nation. And that's why it's so important for women to understand, prioritize their education, and make sure they're going to be getting a career that they find fulfilling and rewarding because they're going to be working for 30 years or more, even if they do take a break for raising children. So that's something we love to emphasize here within the project. Well, we have and, a, and I would yes. say the voting one is fascinating, although we don't have the latest one, but 
1998, uh, let's see, 1996, we were actually one of the top in, in the nation in terms of women voting. And then we went down, I think, 46 spots in 16 years. I think that's right. And we're one of the bottom now on women voting. Why, why do you so, think that is? That's, that's an um, just, interesting statistic. Y- yeah, just uh, being less engaged, just not mm. feeling like they, they need to. But I think that's changing, so I'm very much uh, looking forward to seeing some of the current numbers. Mm-hmm. Do we have, like, two minutes uh, so uh, I can uh, give you the, the leadership one? We, yes, yes. We don't, don't want to neglect that. That's the, the title of the, the project there. Yes. Uh, yeah, t- talk <laughs> about that. So uh, very quickly, I'll just give, give you little bullets. Um, the status of women leaders in Utah business, what we found, we just put a new brief out that we actually had slightly gone down in three years, three to four years in terms of women CEOs. We are uh, CEOs, women board members, and different things, and we are at the bo- one of the bottom of, of the nation in terms of that. And then uh, nonprofits, we, we're about, we're slightly below nation, but that's our kind of our bright spot is... Um, is we have a lot of women in the, the state who do serve as heads of nonprofits and on those boards. Um, women in politics, we've made some gains. We're still low, but we've made some gains in the past two or three years, which we're excited about. We still have a lot more work to do. Uh, women on state boards and commissions, we're significantly low in terms of that, but, but we're hoping with working with lots of partners, including the governor's office, that those numbers will change. The key there is they're looking for women, but we don't have enough women who nom- are nominated or nominate themselves for those positions um, as well. And then the last, um, we're, we're above in terms of women in entrepreneurship, but the last one I'll highlight is women in Utah education. So we are significantly low with uh, the, compared to the nation in terms of women superintendents and the K through 12 system principals. We did see between our last two reports some additional some progress in women like assistant principals around the state. And then in higher education, we are still low in terms of women deans in terms of. Um, but we're making some progress, and you may have noticed that we have made substantial progress in terms of university and college presidents. Yes, so definitely. Of, of the eight, and so I wrote an op-ed this summer on that, of the eight public institutions, four of them are now run by women, and they are the four largest in the, in the state of Utah. And we, in our data, always put in BYU and Westminster in there as well, and Westminster has a woman president as well. So we say five of the ten are now women. And that may mask what's going on beneath, because we still have issues beneath, but we have real good... Uh, hope and the research supports us that women presidents really do look at issues related to women and their needs and the work family. So we we expect those numbers will change in terms of the other leadership positions within higher education. I just want to do a couple of uh, thirty second shots uh, uh, here at the end. Um, Robin Scribner, first, um, maybe talking about and have each of you talk about. Uh, and this is how it's phrased in Dr. Matson's biography, helping more girls and women in Utah find their voices and become leaders. What's your uh, 30-second takeaway here? I would just say that we need to start young. 
I have a 10-year-old daughter, and I noticed a note that she'd written up on the board, her own self, a little acrostic poem with women being wise and leaders and magnificent and all these other things. And I was so impressed that, that my little girl was already starting to hear messages around her saying, women can do great things. You know, I, I'm valuable. I have worth more than just what I look like. And so I think starting with our daughters young, helping them understand the whole world of possibilities available to them and to respect themselves and to respect others and to know that they can do so much good in the world, I think is a great place to start. And Dr. Madsen, give you a 30-second final takeaway here. I would say two things. One is the foundation of basics is to get girls and young women to plan on going to college, to go to college, stay in college, return to college if they need to, and graduate from college. That is at the core of them developing their voices and confidence. And the second one is for, for women of all ages, for moms, for girls and young women, is to be more aware of these issues and actually learn more. Uh, we've done, and we have some videos on the difference between boys and girls and confidence and, and why gender matters and how things are a bit different and what we can look for. So the more that moms and dads are aware of these things, um, so awareness and education and learning about these kinds of things can help us raise more daughters to become leaders. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Susan Madsen, founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at uh, U of U, and with Robin Scribner, research fellow with the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Uh, thank you so much for the discussion. Appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard at upr.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah State University Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information available at cwg.usu.edu. And the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community of everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at www.utahwomensgivingcircle.com.